Digital accessibility, it's all we do. Hello everybody, my name is Megan Roper. I'm a business analyst with Level Access and I am here today to welcome you to the first episode of our Intro to Assistive Technology podcast series. I'm joined today by my colleague, Sarah. Sarah, would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? Yes, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Sarah Shade. I am a manager in the Accessibility Services Department at Level Access and really excited to be joining Megan today talking about assistive technology. Yes, I am excited to have you here as well. This is going to be a really good introductory conversation to assistive technology. This is kicking off our series. We're going to talk about um, assistive technology as a topic today and then dive into uh, specific types of assistive technologies in the upcoming episodes. So this is a really exciting way uh, to get kicked off. So Sarah, um, I'm going to start by asking you, what is your definition of assistive technology um, in relation to sort of like the general definition of it and um, what does assistive technology do? Sure, so assistive technology, which sometimes is referred to as AT, uh, could be really any item, piece of equipment, uh, maybe a software program or part of an actual um, IT system that could be used to uh, improve the functional capabilities of uh, that application for persons with disabilities. So um, it could be hardware or software. At the end of the day, it's kind of bridging that gap or um, overcoming any barriers that would otherwise exist for someone who may not have one of their, one or more, I should say, of their uh, senses. All right. So you kind of answered my next question there, um, like what sort of uh, ATs are there like softwares and hardwares, but I'd like to ask you, can you give a couple of examples of assistive technologies? You know, there's a few that maybe folks are really familiar with and then a few that folks are not so familiar with that we'll be covering later. Sure. Um, so something that probably everyone is familiar with, glasses. Believe it or not, that can be considered an assistive technology. It helps you to see or to read better. I myself use glasses when I'm working on a computer. So um, glasses could be considered a hardware assistive technology. Same thing with a cane uh, for someone who is non-visual or has low vision and utilizes a cane to um, maneuver and, and make sure that they're, they're able to navigate the world around them. Um, in addition, there are, there are other types of hardware like a physical tablet um, that may be pre-programmed with messages for someone who's nonverbal so that they can tap or touch the tablet screen to communicate on their behalf. Um, even some of like our smart home technology like Alexa um, could be considered an assistive technology since it could help someone complete a task that they might not otherwise be able to do like get out of bed and uh, change the thermostat. So um, those are some of the, the most familiar uh, hardware that a lot of people might be able to recognize. Um, your next question was regarding software, correct? Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, software. There's there's a few different types of software. The most common is probably what's known as a screen reader. So what a screen reader does is it will communicate the on-screen information audibly to someone who is non-visual or has low vision. Uh, so it, for example, if you're reading a web page, it will announce the text on the page. It would announce the image alt text. So a description of the image that was programmed by the developer, hopefully. Um, it will announce things like forms, buttons, help them navigate and uh, quickly identify information that's on the page. So screen readers, there's a few different kinds, uh, whether it's for desktop, they have some for mobile devices too. Um, some other software could be like voice recognition software. Um, Dragon Naturally Speaking is one of the most popular ones there that would help someone who might have mobility challenges to be able to speak to their computer and navigate that way instead of utilizing a mouse or keyboard. And then other things like magnifying software or software with high contrast that will change the appearance of the screen to help an individual with um, low vision or color blindness to be able to accurately see what's being displayed. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, this is why I'm so excited to have you here because you're a plethora of information when it comes to assistive <laughs> technology. So one of the things that I really like that you um, shared there in the beginning talking about hardware, I think when people hear the word assistive technology, we kind of get stuck on technology and we associate it with electronics. Glasses is a really great example of an assistive technology, and so is canes that aren't necessarily electronic devices, but can help folks to access the world, whether it's through reading materials or seeing things a little bit larger for folks who are nearsighted and farsighted, or like you said, for folks who are low vision that might be using canes to help them uh, navigate independently, um, or even other types of canes for folks with other types of mobility issues. Um, I think that was a really good explanation of assistive technology. You, you kind of covered all the bases there. So, now, getting back to technology as sort of an electronic form, because quite a lot of assistive technology is uh, electronic, uh, and you mentioned a little bit, uh, you talked about desktop and mobile. So a lot of folks talk about assistive technology in the context of desktop AT versus mobile AT. Do you find that uh, one type is used more than the other or that you are testing with more one than the other. I guess I'm wondering, do you think the market is larger for desktop AT or for mobile AT? Great question. So I think it varies based upon the assistive technology uh, that's required. So I know that mobile phones today, um, a lot of them have built-in assistive technology that is, because it's baked into the physical device and baked into the OS, it's made to be um, used properly with also those native applications. So if you have an iPhone, for example, and you're using VoiceOver, which is the screen reader that comes with an iPhone, there's nothing for you to install. Apple has created their software to work seamlessly with VoiceOver. So if you're using the phone itself, if you're using some of the native applications like their mail app or their photos, things like that, it's going to work beautifully because everything was created by that same developer, right? So um, they all speak the same language. So I feel that 
mobile has really come a long way with assistive technologies like screen readers, like uh, Zoom magnification. Um, even being able to do switch access, which is one that I didn't mention earlier, I don't think. That allows someone who might have difficulty with uh, something like a mouse or a keyboard, but could manipulate one or more large buttons to allow them to control a computer or mobile phone. And a lot of mobile phones have a switch built right in now. So I feel that Mobile devices are starting to take a bit of a lead there because they're able to integrate that software and it will also work seamlessly with the integrated applications. Where things might fall short on a mobile is mobile developers don't always make their applications like a third party developer to work seamlessly with assistive technology. And that's what um, I do in the accessibility services team here at Level Access is to work with you know, clients and, and corporations and their development teams to ensure that they are considering um, these assistive technology users and how to build with AT in mind. Now on a desktop, um, Software can, can vary. Obviously, they're going to have different options for Windows versus Mac. I personally prefer um, accessibility features on a Mac because, again, a lot of them are baked in. VoiceOver comes with a Mac PC. Um, with Windows, typically, sure, you could use Narrator, but it's not as great as something like NVDA or JAWS. Um, those have been a little bit more advanced in how um, they help users to navigate and some of the features that they offer. As far as testing, I think it's kind of equal. A lot of our uh, clients are requesting us to test both on mobile and desktop, realizing that, you know, users tend to prefer a particular uh, device based upon their situation. If I'm Using social media, I'm probably on my couch, but if I'm filing my taxes, I'm probably sitting at my desk in front of a computer. So making sure that um, their applications are accessible regardless of where the end user decides to access them. No pun yeah. intended. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to think about it. Um, obviously, at Level Access, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at a lot of different assistive technologies and testing with them. And we look at many, many different products in all kinds of verticals, whether it's retail, telecom, government, um, financial sector, utilities, we're, we're all over the place, right? I know from having conversations with you that sometimes um, you'll use assistive technology in your day-to-day -day life um, when you're trying to multitask or just to like give yourself a break. So I'm wondering um, what are some of the assistive technologies that you like to use and do you have a preference for a certain kind over the other or does it vary when you're trying to accomplish different tasks? Sure. So um, one of my favorite things to do, uh, especially when I had a long commute, uh, was to turn on the screen reader on my phone and have it read off the news to me. Uh, that way I was still able to kind of hear the, the news from the websites that I enjoy going to and I could keep my focus on the road. So I turn on the screen reader and I would gesture for it to read everything on that particular page and listen to those articles or listen to my email be read out loud to me. Um, it was definitely kind of a, a time saver and allowed me to 
I guess, regain some of the time uh, that wouldn't otherwise be lost sitting in traffic. Um, I also really enjoy watching movies with audio descriptions turned on. So for those who might not be familiar with what audio descriptions are, they describe the visual uh, content that's being displayed during a TV movie or any other type of um, video or multimedia that would not otherwise uh, not be communicated audibly. So for example, uh, if you think of uh, like the movie A Quiet Place, there's not much dialogue in that movie. A lot of it is visual on-screen action. And I watched that recently with audio descriptions turned on and it completely changes the experience. Um, it's helped me because I can, you know, step into the other room to check on dinner or, um, if I'm folding clothes or, or doing something else that I don't have to be looking at the screen the whole time. So as a sighted user, selfishly, it, it makes me a little bit um, more flexible. I'm able to multitask, but it does overall enhance the entire experience too. I like that you shared that specifically that you're a sighted user and you use it because I'm blind and I use audio description because, well, I kind of have to, I depend on it to be able to understand what's going on. There's quite a lot of television shows and movies out there where there are visual things that happen, visual cues. I think particularly of action and horror movies where there's a lot of sort of visual things happen that help progress the storyline along. But what I like that you said is that you're a sighted user that uses it because it's not just for somebody who's blind or low vision or somebody that needs it. It can help a lot of people. It allows you to do things like make dinner. I like to turn on my audio description and cook my dinner too. So I think it enables us to sort of be on the same playing field when it comes to watching our television shows and movies and keeping up with pop culture. Um, and it allows you to get a lot of stuff done. So you can play it on your phone or your television and, and go and fold your laundry or maybe pop in some headphones and put your phone in your pocket and run the vacuum. I know I've definitely done that before. Yeah, for sure. Um, even other, other things with media like closed captions, you know, a lot of times people think that they're only for someone who is deaf or hard of hearing. But honestly, I know I appreciate it if I go out to a noisy restaurant or a bar and there's a TV when they have the closed captions turned on because I'm able to follow along with what's taking place. Or even, you know, sometimes with, with television and movies lately, I've noticed that the sound isn't always as loud as I would hope it to be, especially if you're going from a very loud action-packed scene to some very soft dialogue. And closed captions help me to not miss out on some of what's being said if um, my ear doesn't quite catch up to how loud something is at that point in time. So yeah, I, I feel that a lot of um, assistive technology is starting to be embraced by the wider population or community, not just for those that need it to bridge a gap, but people are finding that it's uh, beneficial in everyday life. If you think about audiobooks, um, those were originally books for the blind, and now Audible is such a huge market where folks like to be able to listen to that content while they're driving, while they're exercising, or just relaxing at home. Uh, that's great. And that's a great transition into the next question I had for you, which is um, 
what are some of the major uh, benefits of assistive technology? There, there's obviously some that folks might not even think about, um, but, but what do you think are some of the uh, bigger benefits of designing something with accessibility in mind from the get-go? Sure. So one of the first stories that I think of is a young woman named Sadie who um, actually has a passion for editing videos, really enjoys that entire process of creating a story visually. Sadie is also someone who does not have um, access or range of motion to be able to control a keyboard or mouse with her hands. And she put together a commercial for Apple. Um, you can go and, and Google it and see a, a lot of their assistive technology features. And Sadie's the one who edited that video. And I think that assistive technology opens doors that were previously closed and allows um, people to kind of perceive ability differently. That it's not that she was never able to do videos, it's that the technology wasn't available to her. And once the technology became available to her, now it's opened up a whole world for her and for everyone else to be able to appreciate that. Um, in the same respect, uh, another story that I think of is uh, two sisters, their name escapes me right now, but uh, one of them was nonverbal and um, you know, the other sister wanted to give her sister a voice so they found uh, technology that would allow her to type or enter into a, um, a tablet uh, to select, you know, buttons for common phrases or sayings to be kind of shortcut. And then the younger sister had spent hours recording her own voice so that this could be uh, adopted to provide her older sister with an actual voice instead of it just sounding like um, Siri or AI or something that would be very mechanical. So the fact that technology is really now broadening the horizons for folks for opening doors that were previously close to them and um, allowing everyone to realize each other's abilities and benefit from them, I think it's just, it's spectacular. It's why I do what I do. That's amazing. Um, I, I think you did a really good job of, of illustrating some of the benefits to accessibility and creating things with accessibility in mind. And so that leads me to my next question for you. What happens, what does it look like when um, a website or an application or anything is not designed with accessibility in mind? What might it look like for somebody uh, who relies on accessibility and inclusive design to be able to access something? And can you think of any recent examples that you've encountered where maybe accessibility wasn't so great and, um, you know, what was preventing a user from getting through sort of their, their flow of uh, completing their tasks with that assistive technology? Sure, sure. So, oh, wow, that's a pretty weighty question. Um, I, I think that, you know, when, when things are not accessible, it's akin to a building with no doors. Um, you know that what you want is inside that building, whether it's you know friends, family, food, money, wh whatever it is that you are trying to accomplish or receive. You know it's inside that building, but there's no doors, or the door is 500 feet up and there's no stairs. It's it's impossible for you to even begin to complete a task. 
and when the web is not accessible, it feels the same way, that you know that website has what you need, what you want, what you uh, are desiring to accomplish, but you are prevented from doing so. And even with the best of intentions, whether it's using multiple assistive technologies, um, you know, jumping through hoops or circles, trying a bunch of different keystrokes and ways to make it happen. If it's not programmed appropriately, you just, you plain don't have access to it. And it's, it's frustrating, it's discouraging. And it's heartbreaking to be in a day and age where most people practically survive off of their mobile phones. Uh, they're able to accomplish and do everything that way that not everyone has that same access. Um, so thinking to a, a recent experience, um, I know of a banking application that was fairly accessible. Um, you know, users are able to get in with a screen reader and, you know, find out what their balance is, uh, look at recent transaction history, maybe even check out their credit score, lots of great features and very convenient, especially in today's day and age, to not have to go into a, a branch and to be able to do that from home. However, um, this particular banking app had a lot of features that required specific gestures, like swiping um, in order to pay a bill or deposit a check, um, or things that would require the user to use a camera to deposit the check, and you need to be able to line it up appropriately. And those parts of the app were not accessible to someone who's non-visual, um, or potentially to someone who has very limited mobility capabilities to not be able to swipe. And that creates that barrier where they are now unable to have the convenience to do this from home. And instead they do have to, um, you know, go out, potentially put themselves at risk given the um, climate that we're living in right now, or find someone to take them physically to a bank if they're unable to transport themselves. So it, it creates a lot of additional hassle that could be fixed if we just started thinking inclusively at the very beginning design processes, coming up with alternative ways to do things. Uh, one of the biggest myths is that if I make something accessible, it's going to break my design. That's not the case. You can have a beautiful functional design that's not only accessible, but it's also intuitive and clean and enjoyable for everyone. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I think banking is is one of those things that obviously it's very, very important that it's accessible to everybody. And I particularly like that you shared the example of folks who might not be able to um, travel or get themselves transported to a physical banking location. I think particularly about folks with disabilities um, that prevent them from being able to drive or, um, you know, if they live in an area where they can't access uh, public transportation. But I also think about the aging population, for example, where sometimes when folks get older, maybe they stop driving, but they've retired in a community or an area where there might be some public transportation, but maybe it doesn't run as often enough. And we know that many physical banks um, 
operate on sort of the standard corporate hours. So if folks are unable to travel during that time for whatever reason, the really nice thing about mobile and online banking now is that you can access your banking at pretty much any time. So I would think that it's super important to make sure that something like a banking application or a website where you can manage all of your accounts online is accessible for folks who like to be able to manage all of their banking from home. Exactly. So uh, in turn, then, I'd like to ask you um, about, you know, an example where you've encountered something that is accessible. So what does it look like when you encounter a website or an app uh, or any sort of web content that has been designed with accessibility in mind um, that is built for end users with um, any kind of need? And can you also share a recent example of that? Sure. So a lot of social media platforms have come a long way in terms of accessibility, which is, I think, super encouraging and the, a great place for uh, inclusive design to, um, to take place because it, social media is about bringing people together. It's about sharing your stories with friends and family. It's about connecting with other people regardless of where you live. I mean, it's removing distance and bringing people closer together. So having social media sites that support um, like alt text, for example, for images. So if I were to share a photograph and uh, you, Megan, as a non-visual user, if I added alt text, you'd be able to hear about um, my daughter baking in the kitchen and making a mess with flour everywhere. And you could make a mental picture of that for yourself and you would be gaining the same experience uh, by my description in the alt text as my, you know, some of my other friends and family who are sighted who are viewing that photo. So it's, it's giving everyone that same experience so that everyone can enjoy the memory that I'm trying to share. Um, another personal example that I have is I traveled with another colleague of ours who's blind and we went to a jazz club and he wanted to share a uh, picture of the jazz musicians on his social media page and um, he, he took the photograph and I assisted him in letting him know who was standing where on the stage so that he could add the alt text of what musician was playing what instrument and where we were at and that was something that he was able to share with his friends and family whether they were sighted or not and everyone had the same experience of knowing where we were, what we were listening to, and how cool it was to be in this old jazz club uh, listening to this band that's been around forever. So it definitely, I think, draws people together when you, when you have some more of an inclusive and accessible design. Yeah, that, that's, that's really important. I think what I like about that, and especially with the example that you shared, is that including something like alternative text, which is part of inclusive design. Um, I think about when I put alternative text in photos, um, obviously it enables myself and any other users, you know, across my social media pages to know what's happening in that photo. But sometimes I know that, for example, Facebook has Facebook memories and it will show me a photo like three years later. And if it doesn't have alternative text, I'm like, huh, I don't remember what this photo is. And, and maybe there's, you know, no caption or anything. But when you include those alternative text, um, and you have a description of what's happening in the photo, then you're like, ah, oh, yes, I know exactly what was happening in this photo three years ago. I remember taking that picture with my family by the beach. So I think that stuff is really important because it helps us 
to understand what is going on and like you said helps us to enjoy the information and the experience the same way that our peers do for sure so since we're coming to at uh, the end of our podcast episode here i wanted to ask you sarah when it comes to accessibility assistive technology and inclusive design are there any uh final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners um about anything that we've talked today about the importance of accessibility and uh you know why it's beneficial um to build everything and design with accessibility in mind sure so when you're doing inclusive design it really means that you're making things work for everyone regardless of their abilities and realistically when you make something accessible and when i say accessible i don't just mean um, accessible to assistive technologies. I'm going to even go beyond that to say accessible for people who are colorblind to ensure that there's good color contrast and you're picking the right colors on the screen, that you are, you know, typing up text that's easy for someone with dys dyslexia to read. Um, there, there's a lot to it. There's a wide spectrum of disabilities and a wide spectrum of uh, assistive technologies that users may incorporate. And it's impossible if you look at it that way to know where to begin so instead it's just trying to make things work for everyone instead of pigeonholing different groups and trying to make sure is this going to work for someone who can't hear is this going to work uh, for someone who can't see um, plus when you are making it in such a way that anyone can access it using one or more of their available senses or one or more assistive technologies. You're actually expanding the usability for everyone. So I, I want you to think of someone who maybe has an arm missing. Maybe they lost the arm, they were born without an arm. Uh, that person would benefit from a mobile application that can be used one-handed. Well, so would someone who has a broken arm or a broken hand. And for that temporary time period, they are limited and would only need to use one hand. And at the same time, someone who is a new mom and is holding their newborn baby asleep and not wanting to wake that child, using a mobile device with one hand is also gonna be beneficial. So when you are designing with all abilities in mind, you, without even realizing it, end up making it a better experience for everyone. A lot of times designers and developers feel that disability is an edge case that should be thought of last during the whole design process. And I would challenge you to think of it first. That's what inclusive design means, is including these different user types, um, including people into your UX testing uh, with a variety of abilities, including people into feedback and focus groups. Because, you know, going back to the Audible example that I gave earlier, that was something that was created originally for blind people so that they could experience books that might not otherwise be um, available to them in Braille. And now it is something that everyone really enjoys and relies upon to help them you know learn and grow or find entertainment so when we look at it from that perspective that this is not just an edge case and something for a very small group of people and instead look at it as an opportunity to improve the experience for everyone whether they have a disability or they're in a situation that they could just plain benefit from having the flexibility to accomplish a task in a different way it's overall going to make a better product. 
I like the way that you describe that accessibility is not just an edge case. It's something that can be beneficial for everybody and make a better user experience overall. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for talking with me today about assistive technology. I'm looking forward to our upcoming episodes where we're going to deep dive into some of the assistive technology tools that we mentioned today in our episode uh, with some other guests. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.